0: Hey, welcome back to The Sound Table. This is episode four. I'm your host, Austin, and I'm joined by Miranda. Hello. Today is a special episode because we have another guest for you all. Today, we're going to be talking to Dean from the alternative R&B group Always Never. I've been a huge fan of Always Never for years. Been listening to them since they were releasing stuff on SoundCloud. So I'm super excited to have him here for the episode. We're going to talk about a lot. Miranda, what can they expect for this episode?
1: We're going to talk about how Always Never formed. Dean's creative production process, musical influences, being an independent artist, and having a single explode on social media.
0: I mean, we really get into it. We chatted for a long time. Yes. Before we dive in, I do just want to give a brief little bio about Always Never. Always Never is a duo formed in Toronto, Canada, with Dean, who we have here today, and the vocalist, Patrick, who we don't have today, but we'll be talking a lot about. So I'm sure you'll still get a ton of information. And uh, yeah, they're just an amazing alternative R&B duo. They've been absolutely dominating it. They've got two full length albums. They've got two EPs. They've got over 115 million streams on Spotify, 75 million streams on other platforms. They got a YouTube presence. They got a presence on SoundCloud. They got a presence on Spotify. And uh, they're completely independent now. We're going to talk about how they dealt with management and kind of how they've gone to being a fully independent artist. But I mean, there's a lot of really, really, really good stuff in here from a duo that is just absolutely slaying it. So we will talk about Always Never. We'll also talk about Dean independently and kind of what he does as a producer. So I'm really, really excited to dive in. I know it's going to be a long chat, so stay with us. Listen over multiple days. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Everybody welcome Dean from Always Never. <music> All right. So we are sitting here with Dean from Always Never. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast, man. I appreciate your time. How are you doing
2: today? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm doing good. Just, uh, you know, just a usual summer day in Toronto.
0: We're just super excited to have you on. You know, I've been listening to Always Never for years. H- how'd we meet? I think you we did a video where we referenced you guys as a like sound alike reference. Yeah. And then I think you commented on it, right?
2: Yeah, I commented on because 'Cause I, I'd been following your channel actually for multiple years and I didn't know that like you knew who we were, kind of thing. So I Yeah. Um but I follow like a lot of production channels and yours was one of my favorites. So it was like when I saw that you then that I saw that one come up and I think um it was kind of a, a bit of an older video, I think, when I actually caught it. I caught it a bit late um and then i was like no way so like i i commented on i think i met a DM you after too and i was like oh this is so dope
0: yeah i remember i saw your comment coming and i was like oh i gotta respond because i think that video was probably 2019 yeah you guys have already been around for a couple of years but that was like before you did your last album and yeah like you kind of did the, the live show with the youtube stuff which i'm sure we'll dive into but yeah once i saw that you reached out i was like cool and that was within like a one month span of I had not really met anybody through their YouTube channel other than just like clients that I was working with. But within one month, I had met like you and six or seven other people that like I've always loved and looked up to and I was like, what is happening?
1: Yeah, it was weird. The universe <laughs> so is really good. aligning. <laughs> yeah, so
0: I'm excited that we're finally getting a chance to chat. I know we talk all the time on text. We talk about uh, house yeah. adventures, putting in a pool, building a lake house, yeah. sending cat pics. It's cat hour yeah. <laughs> once a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Cat o'clock. <laughs> but uh, it's nice to actually be sitting here, you know, face-to-face on a podcast, at least. Exactly. uh, I'm excited to just dive into, into music and, and to chat with you. So to kind of start things off, you know, I would love to personally hear, and I know Miranda and the audience would also love to hear kind of your journey alone with music, kind of how you got into music, how you got into producing and then all the way through kind of how always never formed and, and you know, how you met your partner and kind of what that's looked like up until this point. So you can be as brief or as thorough as you want, but I'm gonna give you the floor to kind of share a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The way that we started was really interesting where up until I was like 18 or 19, I was um, like a guitar player, a drummer. I was in bands and I was always like, I guess, on the other side of the glass where I like, I didn't know any technical stuff at all. Um, right. I was always like, I, I didn't know what an EQ was. I didn't know what a reverb was. I had no idea. And only I knew it as much as what I saw in an amplifier, basically. I had no idea like what computer production was like. I didn't know anything like that. And so this was like, I think around 2012 or 2013, I started kind of fooling around with. I think it was FL at first, but then I switched to Logic quickly. And then I was just on Logic for a while and like just trying to figure it all out. And at that time, there wasn't really like a lot of YouTube tutorials, as you guys probably knew too. Like in 2012, Mm -hmm. 2013, it was pretty dry. Like it was hard to find like stuff to stuff to reference to figure out how to do anything. And then so I I decided to go to um, audio engineering school Mm -hmm. around like 20 I think it was 2014. And then while I was there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to like legit do this kind of thing. And at that time it was like, you know, there's nothing online. Right. So like, not really. Right. And uh, so I thought I, I was like, okay, I got to go to a school. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that today because it's different, but at that time it made sense for me because I just didn't know what was going on. Yeah, for sure. So while I was at that school in the last semester of it, uh, we had to do a project where we had to either produce a band or we had to, um, like, uh, by ourselves and then um, record everything, like, kind of write down along the way, like, everything that we were doing. And, like, it was kind of like a three month project to, like, produce a song, but, like, in the old school way, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, what I wanted to do was that um, everybody in the school was, like, producing bands. Like, literally, not a single person did what I did, kind of thing, because I was just, like, kind of ahead of it at the time, I guess, in the school where everybody else was, um, yeah, producing bands. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to produce my own thing. I'm going to find a singer and I'm going to do kind of like a duo thing for a, for a song. And so like, it was basically, I just went kind of shopping around the internet. And then just by chance, um, someone posted this YouTube video of this guy on Facebook which turned out to be Pat, and I had no idea who he was. And I saw the video and I was like, oh, this guy's voice is really dope. And it was like a cover of a song. I can't remember what it was. So then I saw that and then I went and tried to find him on Facebook. And then I realized we had one or two mutual friends. So literally through Facebook and I was like, and so I hit up my friend, and I was like, hey, do you know this guy? Like, I, like can you introduce us? And he's like, I kind of know him like a little bit, like I've met him like once or twice. And uh, I didn't know where he was from either. I just saw on his Facebook and then I started to figure out, was like, oh, he's like in Toronto kind of thing. But in, at that time I was in a place called London, Ontario, which was like two hours away kind right. of thing. And that's where the school was. And so I got the intro to him and then uh, I, and I still have the screenshot to this day where I just said like, hey, like, I know this sounds super random. <laughs> we don't know each other, but like, it'd be cool. Like we made like a song or something. I really like your voice. And I know that like 99% of the time that never works out. Like it always is like, hey, like, let's do something sometime right on, face, mm-hmm. on a Facebook message. Like, and then most right. people would be like, yeah, let's do something. And then just nothing ever happens, right?
0: Yeah, we'll circle back and then you just never do. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes like, and at that time, especially like you, it just, it was so like, you know, low chance that like something actually uh, works out and comes out kind of thing. Right. Just from like for a sure. random cold message. Right. Both of us like had like, he he had like a couple song like a couple songs out I think on SoundCloud and, but they're like, you know, they were in like low thousands or something like that. And then I had like, I think I had literally nothing out kind of thing. So I was just, uh, and so basically the, the first thing that I made and I sent to him was this, the beat for this song that ended up being tragedy. And that was, this was all for my school project. And then so right. I sent him that. And then he, uh, I think after a couple of weeks, he was like, um, he was like unsure how to, how to work with it at first. And then uh, I hit him up again. I was like, hey, like, I really need this for school. Like if I don't finish the song, I might fail the, the fail the like school or something. And then he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to work on it tonight. And then he sent me back, like literally in one night, he sent me back the entire thing that ended up being the song called Tragedy. And, uh, and then, so I mix and mastered it and then I submitted it to my school for the project and they were like, wow, this is really, this is really good actually. And then, um, I started getting confidence in it. I was like, this is, this is cool. I think something's onto this. And so I start sending it around to like, at that time it was SoundCloud, right? It was everything. Like it was not right. about making money and stuff like that. It was like, I got to get a, bunch of plays on SoundCloud or something like I got to mm-hmm. like blow up on SoundCloud and at that time we um, so I told Pat that I was like um, we still hadn't met it in person yet we did this over email and I told him that I was like oh yeah like I sent this around to like some SoundCloud labels and some of them really like it there's this one that really likes it and uh, I was like we could put it out we could actually like get it on to like iTunes and stuff you know yeah. and uh, but I was like mainly SoundCloud right so then it came out on SoundCloud like a couple months later, and it, we were like, okay, what if it gets like 5,000 streams or something? Or like, that'd be really cool. Like, that would be crazy. Like, what if, what did that happen? Right. And the first day, I think it even like was at 10,000 streams or something. We were like, in what the, the hell?
1: Day?
2: I think it was something like, I can't remember exactly, but it was, it was very, it was really surpassing what we thought in the first oh, last crazy. day. Yeah. And then it, it just went up so quickly after that. Like, I think it was at a million in the first month and a bit or something or two months or something like that and that was like like it just zoomed so quickly and we were like what is going on like I have no idea how this happened right and that really inspired us to start actually doing something together because then we started getting emails and it was like hey like what's next with this like what it was going on and so we met in person. And we were like, okay, let's, <laughs> we didn't know anything about each other. I had no idea what he was like. And then, so we met at, we met at a mall, it's called the Eaton Center in Toronto. And we went, we met at the mall in a public place. <laughs> we're just like, Hey, like, so I guess we made this song that everyone likes or something. And we were like, we should probably, probably do something else. And then, uh, but we just by chance ended up being really similar people in terms of like our personality and, and, mm-hmm. uh, um, and that was just like, I don't know how that worked out. Um, but then, so I made the move to Toronto specifically to work with them kind of thing and like just kind of see where this goes kind of thing. So I literally moved and I didn't really know anybody in Toronto at first. So it was like very, it was a weird time to transition to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we just kept making music. We started releasing a couple songs and we were trying to figure out like what's next. And It was very confusing. We are like, will we ever have something like tragedy again? I don't know. And right. that was like a huge question that just kept coming up and we were like, does how do we make something that gets as much traction as tragedy? I don't know if we'll ever get it.
0: It's hard when you come out of the gate with a million streams with like no vision whatsoever. You just put yeah. it out. It's yeah. like we had no idea. Scary. Big steps and, to follow.
2: And even the weird thing was when we when I when we finished that song, I didn't know what the genre was at that time. I didn't know what it was. I was like I was like, I don't I don't know what you classify this as. So I started what I actually started trying to do was trying to find other artists and I would desperately try to find other artists that like sounded somewhat like the song just so I could try to categorize it and try to understand what exactly this was because it was kind of just something I sat there one day and I was like this beat is weird like I don't don't know let's just see what happens and then and then he did his thing on it and it was just like I don't know what genre this is at this time like it's kind of sort of dance a little bit but it's also like R&B, but it's also kind of something else. I don't know. Yeah, y'all were really
0: early to the alternative R&B genre, which is now like a huge genre specifically in Canada. Like there's a whole slew of Canadian artists that I've personally been really into, but it's crazy that you guys were kind of at the forefront of that because before that, it was like that whole slew of like, you know, like The Weeknd, Drake, Bieber, those were all like the kind of R&B driven Canadian artists, but they were like massive pop stars
1: by 2015.
0: So it was, it's really cool to see you guys kind of being at the forefront of you know, the movement where we've kind of like got a whole regional sound out of Toronto and y'all are right at the front of that. So that's crazy.
2: It was, yeah, it was a really like, it was such a different time then too. Cause when we, when we came up with the song, the the uh, first song tragedy, uh, I didn't know what Spotify was. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And I, but I saw that it was on Spotify because of it got distributed and, um, And then I downloaded Spotify and the first song, and I still have it in my library, is the first song I ever saved on Spotify was Tragedy. Oh,
1: that's (laughs) awesome. And so it's still like
2: at the bottom of my entire playlist, which reminds me that that was like, that was the whole reason I got Spotify. Yeah. And and I had no idea what Spotify was. I was like, I don't know what I'm paying for, but this is like, I should probably (laughs) be aware of like how this is doing. And Tragedy sat at like a thousand, less than a thousand plays. Like that, you know, the word show was like the less than a thousand plays. Like, yeah, it's the, got
0: to, <laughs> to it
2: look so bad. Just, I was it's just, like, like, yeah. kind of
1: mean. <laughs> it was.
2: Yeah, I was looking at that. And it was like that for like probably a year. But it was big on SoundCloud because like I was just like it didn't translate yet kind of thing. Yeah. And then. Right. But today it has, I think, nine million or eight, eight something million, I think. Um, yeah. on Spotify, but at that time it was like for a year, it's just sat with there with the alligator mouth at <laughs> 1, and I was like, Oh, whatever. I don't know what Spotify is anyway. It doesn't matter. But, uh, but SoundCloud was everything at the time. Right. But then quickly, mm-hmm. like it was kind of, we were in that tide turn, I think of where people started switching from like SoundCloud and right. going like, okay, uh, SoundCloud doesn't matter anymore. And now it's like Spotify. So convenient. It has mm-hmm. algorithms the stuff. and stuff. I think SoundCloud, yeah exactly and then soundcloud kind of lost the reposts and like they, i think they changed their whole like algorithm and stuff it was stupid but um so anyways with so soundcloud was how we started but um and that's all we cared about for a couple of years and so we released like a couple more songs there was a song called like ultimatum actually that i still go back to that i really like but it's uh but that was like 2016 and it was kind of like the first really big change for us was we made this song called Call Me Over, but it didn't come out for a couple of years uh, or maybe like a year and, uh, after we had made it. But the thing that happened was we made this song called Call Me Over. And that was the first time it was in 2016. And we, we felt like that was like the first time we were like, OK, we're actually hitting on to something I think we really like that we can. And it was just by chance. And uh, we were like, OK, I think this is actually kind of the tide turning of like figuring out what we're doing with all this. Right, And at this time, like we had made no money yet, like with, with music, I was DJing for money and Pat was in a full-time job. And so he would record at night. And in 2016, after we made that call me over one, we, uh, Pat's lease expired and my lease expired at at each of our condos around the same time. We we're like, we should probably move in together. that could be cool. So then we did that. And then that's where we started writing. Like as soon as we moved in together, it was like he would go to his day job during the day. I'd be producing like through the night and like, and, and you know, wake up or I'd, I'd be up at five or 6am and he'd be leaving for work. And I would be like, just going to bed. Cause I would, and I would have mm-hmm. an idea. And then I would be like, and what would happen often is I would be, so I'd be up till like 6am or something. He'd be getting up and then I'd be like playing, I'd be sitting in my room, like playing the, whatever I came up with on the laptop and then he would be going to work and he'd be like oh send me that when I get back I really like that and then he would get home and then he'd record in the bathroom and the whole album first album happened that way it was all 14 songs were recorded in the apartment in the bathroom and then just me sitting on the mac with my like apple earbuds (laughs) 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 and so I was like while in millions um like all all of our like main songs really like all were in the span of such a like, like three, four months, a lot of those songs were all like happening at once kind of thing. Right. And we held them for a while because we were trying to like build a catalog on the back end. And then meanwhile, I was, uh, I started going to LA and just by myself, because <laughs> he, he was in his job, right? So he couldn't go there. Right. Um, and I was just like, my whole goal was I was like, hey, I need to get this out, everything out there. I need to get people excited about this so that we can start making money from music and we can make enough that pack can quit his job and he can do this full time. And that was like my next main goal. And that was what really motivated me. So I went back and forth with LA and I, I would, as a Canadian, you can stay up to six months a year in the States, before you get in trouble.
1: Like six months out of time?
2: Uh, six months total. And okay, you, it total. would be like so if you went like incrementally, it could if it added up to more than six months, you're in trouble. Like right. within a year period kind of thing. And it was that that's what I had always followed. So I was like and I would like pin it right to the like I would have the days <laughs> counting. I'd be like, okay, I got like ten days left in America. Yeah. <laughs> and uh And I would go back and forth too. So I would just take flights all the time because I was just like kind of going off of whatever I could. So it was like, like sometimes I would just get a call and it would be like this A&R wants to meet you. Can you, can you be here like tomorrow? And I would like leave a dinner and literally book the flight at the dinner and then I would just, I always had like a suitcase ready to go at any time and then I would just like take that suitcase get the flight the next day and then I wouldn't know how long I was going for I wouldn't get a return flight and then and I would fight with the porter a little bit sometimes because they'd be like well, where's your return flight and I'm like oh I don't, I don't have one but and sometimes they would they would like they'd be cool with it in the end but
1: probably because they're like why would you want to stay there
2: yeah <laughs> so like a Canadian's probably.
1: not going to want to stay in the US so I would do you-, you better
0: not get a yeah. flu you while you're there because you're going to go into debt baby
2: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so I, I and I would end up there, like uh, so there were certain times where I'd end up there for two months, and the, oh, wow. and for a long time I was going back and forth so much that I would like wake every day I would wake up, I wouldn't know what country I was in. Cause I was do you ever get that where if you go back and forth like a lot to somewhere, like I would I would wake up in Toronto and I wouldn't know where I was because oh, I would be no. like, Oh, I'm in LA, and then I would but I was just get so confused because yeah. I was going back and forth so often. And it was like, I had two like lives going on. I like I felt like I was living like a double life at one point. Cause it was just, it was back and forth. So often I was just trying to make as many connections as possible. And I had like really good friends there that I'd made over the, the few years that I was just going back and forth. So like through that, we and essentially like the, the sort of the train of what happened was in like early 2017, one of my good friends there like introduced me to his entertainment lawyer. And this was like a huge point for us where, um, when I met him, then he was like, I love the music. Um, I want to take you guys on as a client. And like, we weren't making money yet kind of thing. Right. And he ended up like, went, and so I was like, yeah, I'd love to, like, let's do it. And then, so we caught him with that. And the first thing he did was he started sending around our music to like different people in LA kind of thing. And like a and like managers and stuff like that. And he's like, you guys need managers. And then, so we started sending it around and then we ended up getting linked up with, with managers who uh, we took on in LA. And then we had managers in LA for about two, I think it was about two years. Um, and basically through that time too, like it was like, then we were like, okay, we're going to release our album. And the whole release reason why we even ended up releasing independently was actually because uh, it was just like labels, like we were kind of hoping, like or at least like in LA, it was always like, okay, we got to like, at that time it made sense to sign something. Like it's made sense to like sign to a deal and then start to like start your journey there kind of thing right especially because you were like self-producing so
0: it wasn't like you were like investing yeah. tons and tons of money into these albums that now you're like losing major percentages on so for you we're like yeah we can make the album and whatever help we get is just adding on to the top
2: exactly and like that that whole ad, the first album so we had all these songs and it was just like it was just me and pat like just <laughs> and everything but it wasn't even like intentional it was just like we didn't really Know a lot of collaborators at that time at all, like we didn't know anybody who like like a lot of people in Toronto at that time were d j s like right. in mm. in dance music, so like we didn't even know like anybody in r and b we didn't know anybody like um like we didn't personally know anybody, so it was like but th- it what just happened that way, but then it ended up being the best thing for us um because it forced us to like just between the two of us just like our two minds together to come up with like a lot of songs and like um to to and we would like co-write them together we would like produce them together kind of thing it was just like it was just like such like a a tight thing right and we and we were just doing it in the apartment so it was just like not in any studio like we didn't do any of it in an outside studio it was literally just that one apartment and that's also like why like you can hear it in the music too when you go back it's like you know the mixes are kind of janky like the recordings weren't perfect you know what i mean but that was the magic in it i think because it was mm-hmm. a lot of it was just like the feeling of the songs was the most important thing right
1: Yeah, that is what's most important
2: it really is. And at that time it was like, that was everything. And we were just working with whatever we thought sounded cool kind of thing. Right. So, but yeah, with that being said, it was like the big turning point in in LA was like, okay, so we were, um, I got, a, I got impatient. I was like, okay, like I'm not waiting around. Like we were meeting with a lot of a and stuff like that throughout the times before we released anything. Right. Um, in 2017, which would have been like our kind of the beginning of the next journey, which was like, I would call it like wild and forward kind of thing which was like, we kind of went from like that tragedy phase where we were kind of like putting out some songs, but they weren't really like, we weren't on the right path yet. Um, and then basically like I got impatient and I was like, okay, we are putting something out. Like uh, we can't wait any longer. And this was like fall or maybe summer 2017. We are like, okay, fall 2017, we were putting out songs and like, we have to do it. Like I'm not waiting any longer. Right. So then we, we, so then forcefully we were like, okay, like, so let's just roll forward with it. So we had management, we are like, okay, this is what we're doing. And then um, we end up putting out three songs, which was Call Me Over, Wylan, and the other one called All You Need. And then Wylan was just like a background song in it. It wasn't the focus track. Right. And that's what <laughs> but it was crazy because when it came out, it was like Call Me Over was like the focus track because everyone was like, oh, the Call Me Over is the one. That's the, that's the one for sure. Let's put Wylan on because that sound, sounds sounds kind of cool. Like that was what everybody, like the industry thought. Right. Like that was like the... but. Uh, but we always like, we, like all the songs we were making, we were like, we, like, we loved all of them in different ways kind of thing. And, um, and Weiland was one of those ones too, that just like felt really special. Um, but it was like less of the focus at the time. Cause it was like, okay, let's get something that slaps. You know what I mean? Like, let's get something that has high energy and stuff like that. Right. And, um, so those three songs come out and Call Me Over just like kind of flopped. It was just like, at first it was like, you know, it has some cool looks to it, but it wasn't like, you know, doing anything crazy. And then basically slowly Wyland started like picking up organically mostly through SoundCloud at first and then it just like started to pick up like a bit more and then uh then we just and then it was like Spotify curators started picking it up mm-hmm. and then it was just like this kind of like slow growth that was sort of happening with it and then uh then suddenly like Joe Budden was like I, I was watching uh Joe Budden on this um show um I think it was all, Everyday Struggle at the time. I'd watch it all the time. It was like this. Have you, do you guys ever watched that?
0: I, I think everyday I've maybe struggle. seen like some clips on YouTube, but not religiously. Okay. So
2: at that time it was like, it was on Complex, I think. And it was just like, I'd watch every week. Right. And so I was always just like familiar with Joe Budden because of that. And also like, you know, his past uh, music and stuff. For sure. And so I was watching him all the time. And it was just like so strange. This one day Joe Budden played our violin as his song of the week. And it was like when he had just left Everyday Struggle and it was like one of the bigger episodes I think he would had um, because it was at that time anyways. And I was like, what? I'm like, this is this is so weird. I literally watched this guy like every week right. on this Everyday Struggle show. And now he's just like playing this like out of nowhere. Yeah. Like I had no idea. And he just said that he found it on Spotify, like on the podcast. And he was and he was playing it. I was like, what the fuck? And then. Um, so, and then that was kind of cool. And then it was like, and then there's like more and more stuff like that was coming up. And then it was like, um, Aniko Hart, like, um, who's married to Kevin Hart, mm. uh, posted on her story. And then I was like, Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's it was like, crazy. that's, that's like pretty crazy. So I was like, that's cool. And then, so our leading up to that, so our album comes out and we also put out this wild and music video. And this is like, uh, that when the album came out, it was like within two weeks, right? Um, we start getting messages that Khloe Kardashian is playing uh, the song called Know This from her album on her Instagram story and I was like what? And I, I didn't follow Khloe Kardashian at the time so it was like but people started saying the story, and it was just like she only had one story for the entire day, and it was just like her garden, I think. And she was playing Know This as like the song for the, the whole thing. and I was just like, What? And that I, is crazy. And like, that's, that's some good publicity. Yeah, it was, so, it was so strange. I was like, What? You're like, like I thought artists so had to pay like 50K for
0: this. Seriously. she's
1: Yeah. Cute. And
2: so I had no idea. I was like, What? And then, uh, but she didn't tag us though. <laughs> Damn, if she had tagged no us, pre-pomo. it might have been a very different story. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: But we, she didn't tag us though. So that was. Um, and I, I, I'd always thought about that. That I was like, if she ever tagged us, like if she just took like one more second to like. You'll be like, on Joe like, Budden, not not guys. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so like, um, she if she had tagged us, like it could have been a way different story. But anyways, whatever. Obviously, it was it was definitely crazy just to see that because I was like, I can't believe, especially at that time, it was like, I couldn't believe that the music was getting around to people like that, especially because it was it was all coming out on like just independent stuff. Like we were literally on Stem initially and then we had switched to AWOL I think at that time when the album had come out and this this stuff had like no push like it was no there was no nothing other than just like the stuff we were organically building from the beginning right which is SoundCloud and stuff like that like it was just that's just all it was and just organic discovery and trying to push stuff on social media and that was it and so that was uh that was crazy when the Claire Kardashian thing came up
1: was that before you could like Like, you know, now you, when you like search a song on Instagram, it'll like show it at the top. Was that before then?
2: Yes. It was before Okay, So she was just like
0: Like, she was just like like, listening to it on her speaker and
2: like, it it was like literally like playing, like, uh, it was like playing in, like, I I guess at that time it would have been like playing in her iPhone as she's like recording the video,
0: like the iPhone mic was picking it up from the iPhone speaker.
2: (laughs) Cause yeah, she was playing. And it was like, cause I remember at that time it was like, if you wanted to play a song with a video you had to do it that yes. way kind of thing and that's what that's what she did because it was like you could hear the song like it was like perfectly clear like that was the audio of the entire video yeah. kind of thing it wasn't like picking up you know someone's phone like off in the distance right. it was like literally on her phone so it was like that so anyways that was crazy so it was just like that that was uh i was like oh my god so then after that it was like um we somebody started doing shows and stuff like that so it was like pretty soon after the album actually i think it was within like a month or two or something yeah i think within a month um, and for the shows too, we were just doing like hard ticket headlines. Like we didn't want to, we didn't do like, um, which kind of just dive, dove into that, which was scary, I think to, as a move, cause it was like, you're putting yourself on the line as like, okay, I have to sell every ticket to the right. show and nobody else is selling the tickets. It's not a festival. It's not a um and not opening for anyone. And you're only so two people, like,
1: so it's how many like resources can exactly. you possibly have? <laughs> you don't have a,
0: a band of 6 people at the mall shelling out tickets. <laughs>
1: right.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it was it was really cool cuz it was like it was actually when we so the first show we did was Toronto and then when we actually went to the states it was like such like a different reaction where when we were in the states it was like it felt like when we were at the Ellie show like people there were such like so in into what we were doing. And I think it was also cause like we weren't from LA per se and we weren't, and then we went to Chicago. It was the same thing. Like, and we would stay back for like, like Chicago. I think we stayed back for like two hours after the show, just talking yeah. to people. Cause, cause people were just had a lot of questions and stuff. And they were talking about like all their experiences of what they were doing when they heard our music and stuff oh, like that. And it cool. was like, uh, so there were really like intimate experiences, I guess, like at the end of each of the, uh, each of those shows and in the New York show, it was cool too. Cause it was like when we finished um, we went out to the lobby, um, to, to do like a meet and greet, but we didn't really see like everybody who was going to be in there kind of thing. And then we went in there and then it was just like, everybody screaming <laughs> in the lobby. And I was like, this is so cool. Cause it's like, you know, we weren't, we're not from these cities. Right. But it was always like, I don't know why, but I think it was always our music, uh, caught more of America more than it did Canada. Right. Um, all the time, and it's always been weird that way. I don't know why, but since the very beginning, too, even from the point of tragedy, it was always more America. Yeah, and um, I did, I don't know why, but I mean, just Canada doesn't doesn't love us as much, or it's just smaller. I think I'm everyone watching.
1: in the U.S. just loves Canadians really. Like everyone just yeah, you guys it, are all just so nice, so everyone just loves you, every Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
0: think too, there's that perspective of like when an artist is from the hometown, it's like, oh, we're gonna go to the show, we're gonna support, but like. You almost don't see them as a celebrity because it's like, I could just see them at Whole Foods. You know, it's like they're doing great and they're in my hometown. But like when you're in L.A., it's like they just flew 4,000 miles to come here. And those people drove out to see you guys that they'll never, ever see again. So I think there's like that disconnect. Or
1: maybe the music scene is just different here, too. I don't know. I don't
0: know. I mean, do y'all have like a big international audience outside of North America? Like are y'all big in... Anywhere in like Asia or Europe or anything like that?
2: Yeah. So it's like, um, especially Europe, that's been since the beginning too. But I think that's just the, the style of music, I think, just resonates. Pat's also Polish. I don't know oh. if that makes any difference. Probably doesn't make any difference. I hey, will say it does. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, it might, honestly. But Poland is in there. Like when you go into like our, our stats and stuff, like um, we've never been out to Europe. Well, Pat's been out to Europe just for other reasons, right. but I've never personally been to Europe ever. And, uh, but the thing is like, when we look at our stats and stuff, it's like, um, there's a lot of like Russia and, um, and UK and, um, so it just like, it's, it's really all around, but yeah, Europe for sure is like, there's, there's always been like a Europe audience. Um, but we just never haven't done a show out there or anything like that. Like a whole logistical
0: nightmare, like going over the pond. Yeah. But
2: that's also just like the streaming era, right? Is like, you can just like, it, it just can spread all over the world. Well that was one thing I wanted to talk about was
0: like y'all streaming numbers are insane and I see so many people that like they either do well on Spotify or they do well on YouTube curated channels or they do well on SoundCloud but like we were just talking this morning over coffee like we were at a coffee shop and I was showing her y'all's YouTube channel and she's like it is crazy that a musical act that's not like Ariana Grande has 115,000 subscribers to a channel that's only posting music content i was like that is a lot like a y'all lot. got videos on there with you know is it a lot tens of millions i of think you. so yeah I, like i'm I not was subscribed
1: looking, personally to like any artists that i listen to i don't think i'm subscribed to any of their youtube channels but i was looking at like really huge true.
0: people that like i mean they're like constantly on the new release friday and they were like maybe thirty thousand subs on youtube and i was like damn they have a really dedicated youtube audience and like y'all's videos all have good numbers and then y'all are of course on like the curated channels like the popular music the dynamic all those things with like the millions but i was like jesus they're pulling numbers on youtube they're pulling numbers on spotify you're talking about pulling numbers on soundcloud and it's cool to see that like i love to hear what the kind of dynamic is between living off of kind of streaming versus touring because i find that people either go one direction or the other some people are like we have a thousand dedicated fans that will come to the show 50 times and that pays us well. And some people are like, we have millions of fans that will probably never see us live because we're not going to go to Poland and do a tour. So what is that like with you guys just having like such a wide global reach because of all the different streaming and, and music platforms?
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's, and it's a really good point actually about the, um, I, so I want to touch a little bit on the, the, the diversity of the platforms was always really important to us from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That we were like, we want to treat every platform that it matters. So we want to grow it together. So right. we didn't ever want to just be SoundCloud. We didn't ever just want to be Spotify or just be YouTube. We wanted to make sure that all of them were being, we're focusing on all of them as much as possible and that's why we were doing music videos and stuff like that and making sure that we were engaging with our audience on youtube and stuff like that and so even the youtube was just like it was so or or, like even like the way that you see it grow is so linear like it's just over time like it's like um because we've always really cared about it I i see sometimes like i along the way i would see how it's so easy to just kind of gravitate towards Spotify and focus on like just Spotify or just app, you know, just Apple right. Music or whatever because they pay you and stuff, and they pay you. That's like uh, they pay you more, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and there's a lot of people who also still will will say like, oh fuck SoundCloud, like I'm not posting on SoundCloud, like who cares about that anymore? We still post on SoundCloud. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, do not? I don't, not? Know. I don't, I don't like care a if it's free you know, It's like it costs yeah, nothing. It's like so I I, I really I, and I will really tell people that too. Like when I when I would hear that, I would be like, no, like you should really try to focus on everything. Like, just don't don't ignore any platform. Like, yeah. right.
1: Why not? Now
0: with all of these distribution companies, and, and like I'm sure we'll talk about distribution deals, but even for independent artists, it's like, hey, $10 and put your music on CD Baby or TuneCore, and it's going everywhere, and it's literally no extra effort. Yeah, Like, why leave that potential audience on the table? Because like with a YouTube channel, I'm sure that out of the tens of millions of people that have watched something on there, they're not going back to that to casually listen. They're the ones that are also transitioning over to the tens of millions yeah. of spotify streams and it's like they might have not streamed Weiland 300 times on spotify had they not found you on youtube in the first place and it just seems exactly like a waste to, to not put your music out everywhere and at least have that potential because like you were saying soundcloud they changed the algorithm and like if you put all your eggs in that basket and then spotify yeah. changes your algorithm and now they're not putting you on their playlist and i mean you now you gotta go get a job because you just had everything down the one platform
2: Exactly. That's what I've always thought of since the beginning. And I'm, I'm glad that I, I did do that because I, I didn't really know where things were going to go in terms of like what platforms might become popular more than others. Right. Um, but yeah, even like so like, I, I'll I'll upload our stuff to audio Mac as well. You know, what I mean, we don't even really have like much audience audio Mac, but I still upload it to that. I still like spend the time to make sure I'm like writing the descriptions and like making sure it's categorized properly and uploading like just uploading all the files. Just to make sure, you know, just to make sure it's on like everything as much as possible, and that's how we've treated everything. So I treat it equally with like, you know, it's even like with so with YouTube, it was just like um, we're always like I would even go into like the community. Some people don't even know what the community posts on YouTube, like that it's like a social media at the same time. So I go in there, I'll like I'll post like a picture and be like, and then put some announcements in it or something like that. And, uh, and that will actually like get a lot of engagement and stuff sometimes. Like it is just like dedicating ourselves to every platform, especially YouTube has always been really good. And I, I've always been a huge fan of YouTube. Like we would even do like in the past, we would do like free covers or free versions of stuff that we never made a dime off of, but we would put it on, but we'd make it specifically and even spend money on, you know, just making it, make it great and, and even spend money on cover art for it and stuff like that. And, uh, just to put it on SoundCloud and YouTube for free for everyone, just, just for that. And so we would make it like YouTube exclusives and stuff like that. And like, that was just something that was important to us. And I think that some of that stuff has been kind of lost because I think there's definitely a lot of temptation to not care about it kind of thing and not be like, okay, well, I'm not getting paid. Then why would I do that? You know, like, Mm -hmm. like I'm only going to do stuff that is paid or something, you know? So we were we were never in that mindset.
0: I think that a lot of people like don't realize that there's multiple arms of being a successful artist, and half of that is that you have to spend as much time doing things to get people in the door as you do to have them sticking around, where they're going to your shows, buying your merch, listening to something on a paid platform. And like, I think people just expect to have you know five hundred thousand monthly listeners on Spotify, but it's like, how do you expect those people to get there in the first place? You're not posting any other content on social media. Like, I'm not saying everybody has to be like a TikTok star or anything, but like you said, just doing like the covers on YouTube, engaging in different communities. It's like, those people don't just show up out of nowhere. And even if you do get lucky and land an algorithmic playlist here and there, that monthly number will go up for a month or two, and then it's going to go back down. So like, I think that y'all have done a really good job of making sure like, I definitely think that y'all have gotten great opportunities through algorithmic playlisting and just right place, right time. But y'all have also definitely put in the time and the work to make sure that like you sustain that audience when they find you and you're going out and you're finding dedicated audiences of your own. That way it's not just influxes of numbers here and there and super unpredictable income and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. And I've, I've also been like uh just like a big fan of like, for us with just being consistent, like it's just, I think as long as we have our core audience um, and our core audience is building and I don't care how slow it is kind of thing it's um that's that's really important to us because we're always about longevity we don't want to like disappear or right. uh you know something like that like so I mean sometimes we'll take some breaks from releasing and stuff but that's you know everybody does that but we don't you know but I see sometimes where it's like there there can be people who might get you know a million listeners all of a sudden or or something like that I don't know some or or just have a song like you know, really blow up very quickly with a lot of playlists. And then as soon as the playlist disappear, then the song just stops. And mm-hmm. it's like, but, but the, th- the thing that I love to see is I just love to see stuff stay for a long time. That's all I want. Like right. It's, and I, so I don't, I don't care if it, you know, if it's, it's nice to see something get like first week numbers that you're like happy about. But when it comes to, 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 sp- Spotify or, you know, it's like, it's, it's so easy to like compare yourself against other releases that are coming out around the same time or maybe in the same genre or whatever it is. Or you like look at, you know, the new music Friday and you're like, oh, why am I not on this or whatever? You know, For it sure. sucks that you're not on it. Right. Um, but I, th- I think that's easy, but it's like, or like easy to, to look at that and kind of beat yourself up about it. But the main thing is like, I think at the end of the day, that's really going to hold forever is like just writing music that you know, you really believe in and that has longevity to it. And if you have still have an audience a year later with that song or two years down the line, then I think that's way more important than having really fast, quick numbers, uh, especially if it's industry driven. That happens a lot. Like Spotify is a very confusing place. Right. Um, for streams and monthly listeners and stuff like that because not all of it exactly shows because it it can be mixed up so much with like what determines a successful song or a successful artist kind of thing and it gets so confusing on spotify because you could have people on spotify with 10 million monthly listeners but you go to their social media and no one cares right and that 10
0: million monthly listeners is gone in two months it's like does somebody have a million monthly listeners for two years straight yeah or for one month when they release a song that blew up on TikTok. And it's like, it's nice to have a little bit of cash come in when a song does crazy numbers unexpectedly. Oh, that's great.
2: I think it's awesome. That's
0: not going to pay your bills for two years. You know, it's like you have to develop that consistency and that that habit of being like, all right, I'd rather have small numbers over and over and over and over again than a song come out and get the immediate 30 million streams and then just disappear for four years. You know, like I'm sure that y'all make, I would assume that a lot of the checks that y'all are getting from royalties and streaming payments and stuff like that are from songs that are four years old, you know? Like, if you were to yeah. take those away completely or if they stopped doing numbers, it would put a huge dent. So, like, I think that we just live in such a viral era where people want their song to be huge now. But yeah, I find with pretty much any kind of entertainment industry, whether it's YouTube channels, artists, actors, I feel like the faster that you get to that pinnacle is also, like, the faster that you're going to come down if you're not able to sustain it. Yeah. And it's just... We're seeing a lot of people get into these like crazy development deals and stuff like that where, you know, they're signing to these labels because they had a huge song pop off and then they're getting shelved because they're not getting another song that's going to have a hundred million streams. Yeah. So the label's not going to put any time or effort because they made their money, they made their stuff and now it's just like peace. And so it's cool to see that you guys have been able to kind of sustain that and, you know, even if some releases may drop or some releases may do way beyond what you were expecting... I think y'all going into the mindset of just like we just want to put out as much music as consistently as possible and develop that fan base, put so much of the yeah. power back in your hands. Especially y'all are still independent, correct?
2: Yeah, like we're literally on uh, TuneCore. So. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> so and and uh, and there are, so we're entitled catalog except for two songs are in DistroKid, but that's for another reason because like they just uh, so one of them was a Rosalind song that uh was a cover and distro kid does covers really well Their licensing so it was like, like, like the like, cover licensing is just so easy so you're we like okay sure but
0: like 15 bucks and you don't have to worry about anything yeah
2: and then also uh patterns uh something came out this year um we had two collaborators on it with us well so we it was easier to do splits right um with distro through that so that they could have um splits and then um but that's also kind of how we're doing so we're kind of just going through between like TuneCore and distro essentially now like so if distro kit if it makes more sense with a split situation or a cover TuneCore core for everything else. And we've been on TuneCore core for multiple years now Before that we were on a wall. And so we've always been on an independent distributor no matter what. And uh, it's hard to ever give that up when you've, uh, and so we've had like, we get a lot of emails and stuff where it'll be like people trying to license stuff or trying to, you know, offer some kind of label deal or something. And it's just like, it's so hard for us to even, you know, imagine that because like just losing control is just not worth it
0: right and there's already us, two of you like and so if you have so many people getting their hands on it where you're starting to lose 70 percent. so now you and pat have to split 30 yeah. percent. it's like okay well can Feels we make horrible. six figures between the two of us so we can split that evenly or do we need to go make four million dollars to split that with an entire team but we're probably yeah. doing more work we don't have the complete freedom of that so i don't know it's cool to see like artists we, you know, we talked with Joan on the last episode and we were kind of talking with him and they, they're they on like a smaller na- label now and they've tried everything with, you know, single releases and small bodies of work. And they were basically like, if we're going to be on a label, we still want to have complete creative control. Like nobody has to be on one now. And so I'm finding that like these smaller yeah. boutique labels that are not taking, you know, a 70-30 split, they're not completely controlling their artists tend to be a good thing. And I'm seeing a lot of people honestly just like self-release. So I'd love to kind of hear, you know, As we're kind of transitioning from topic to topic, I'd love to hear kind of your experience with just being self-published and self-released and being able to do things like upload to your own distributor, have managers that you feel like you can afford to kind of, you know, if they're taking off the top, kind of how that works and, and just having less people to split whatever income always never makes because that it the lower overhead you have is like the lower stakes it has to be. So the more you can focus on creation and
2: not, you know,
0: quote unquote success.
2: Absolutely. And actually right now we're, um, self-managed as well. So we've been self-managed since, um, September. Perfect. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, <laughs> so I, our team is actually pretty much like, so they, the team is really just, it's the two of us at this point, but it's, um, but I would also like say that, um, so we have, um, one of our creative guys that's been with us since the beginning. Um, his name's Jack Roy and, um, also, uh, two of our other friends, uh, Ryan Craven and Justin Beruda are like. The three of them have been, like, since 2017, like, so it's been a long time, have been, like, very helpful with the creative stuff all along the way. They've helped us, like, tremendously with pictures and content and uh, being with us on any music video shoots and also directing some of our music videos and stuff like that. And so, like, even though they're not, like, in, you know, a a role per se of, like... um, like a management or something right now. It's like, they've been people like along the way that have just like helped us so much and stuff. So we've worked with them a ton and like, they're really great friend of friends of ours who are very creative. So they've been with us along, along the way um, the whole time. Um, Management has been, um, we've had like kind of a history of just changing into a couple different teams kind of thing along the way since uh, our first management team we got into was 2017. And then our next management team we got into was in the end of 2019 and it was actually just before the pandemic started. Um, I think something that's happened with management overall, just like as a general role in any artist's career, I think is um, the pandemic got very confusing right. for 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 any role, I think on any team because of the limitations of what can be done and the changing of the landscape was so drastic um, where you know, we saw like this big TikTok era start and it was a lot of like pushing songs. It wasn't the same anymore kind of thing. And it just all started turning very quickly to like the artist being responsible for so much more kind of thing. And that just, I think got really confusing and frustrating for probably a lot of managers I can imagine um, through the pandemic because it just changed a lot. There wasn't really show, there was no shows like at all, right? There was nothing like that. No
0: show, no music videos to book. It's hard to manage when there's nothing that you need to be, facilitating necessarily you know it's like yeah with the pandemic like you said it was all you want to make stuff you can make stuff and you can release it but yeah as far as like for i would i honestly would love to get a manager on here to kind of hear what that process was like because you know there's not yeah chose to a book there's not pr appearances to it's like that is crazy i've actually i haven't yeah. even thought of it from that role
2: It, uh yeah it just trained changed so drastically and i think i could see the Um, so like our management team that we had throughout the, all the pandemic was, I could see how like frustrating it was for everybody kind of thing, just because everything was flipping on its head so quickly, like the, every strategy, every, like in, in any strategy that worked yesterday, it doesn't work today kind of thing. It's just like, it was changing so drastically, but they did, they did like an excellent job, just like navigating through that in their own creative way kind of thing. But you know, by the, by the end of the pandemic, it was like. Well, I guess it's still going. Is it still going? I'm not even sure. Like, um, yeah,
0: but I mean, some the people might say, Yeah, but outside of like supply it's chain issues, is like we're all going out. We're go bands are going on tour again. it's yeah. like, you know, people are yeah. having parties. So
2: I would I would say it's like, te- yeah, let's just say it's basically over. Right. Um. So then, like for me and Pat, like we've always been like very self sufficient since since the beginning, cause like, it, especially for me at the beginning, I was like, I wanted to get involved in everything. Like I wanted to, I, when we got our first lawyer, it was like, I was asking questions every day and I was like involved in like a lot of the, just watching him do the contracts, watching him like uh, negotiate stuff. And like, so it was, I learned as much as I could about everything, especially in management as well. Like I had great friends in LA who were managers that uh, weren't managers of ours, but like they would teach me a ton of right. stuff. And so I just learned so much about like all the terms of like um, what to expect and like how things were changing as they went. Cause I was so into that. And then, so for Pat and I, we got really into a lot of different roles, uh, in understanding how to do a bunch of different roles. So we then, uh, Pat's really into our accounting. So he does a ton of our accounting. Right. Um, we do all of our own taxes, all of our own accounting. Like, um, are we started making our own cover art last year? That was like a new thing. Like, um, so every cover art that's been coming out with our songs in the last year is all just made in our kitchen kitchen experiments.
0: And you do that because you like uh, doing it, right? Not because you, like there's a lot of people that listen to this that are still at such a DIY phase where they don't have money to pay people. They're not having revenue to split with people. And, yeah. But y'all have chosen to do this. Y'all really like to take that creative yeah. control now.
2: Yeah. That was the, since the beginning. We were like, the, I, I, I mean, even before we had the resources, right. like, we, yeah, we just wanted to do everything. So we've always been so into that. And like, we've always been into like our own release strategies and stuff like that. We'll always like, we just go into the living room. Like we both live together still. So like we've been living together since 2016 and uh we'll just go into the living room and just plan stuff out for a couple hours or something you know we just like have meetings all the time and we just go back and forth between each other's rooms
0: how's that work so y'all are both full-time music now
2: oh yeah we've been uh so actually I, i should explain that from the timeline from earlier that i was explaining was so in my goal when uh up to 2018 was like okay i need my goal is to i need to get pat out of his job like i need to do everything i can to make sure that we're getting our music is getting out there and that he i i really had to show him too and and like he needed to really feel like this that to feel confident going forward that because if he, as soon as he left was to leave his job it would be like that's permanent you know? right like he can't really go back from that and he it was something he'd gone to school for which was video editing and um coloring and stuff like that also he's a great video editor he edits our videos as well he edits all almost all, every video we've done he's he's worked on in some capacity
0: damn creative which is is strange too
2: right like he's just he's really good at that stuff and so he's and that was he went to school for that so like with his job he worked in a i'll call it like a movie editing studio he'd probably be able to explain it better but i would call it like a movie or a tv show commercial movie editing studio kind of thing it was very corporate and uh so he was working there and my goal is I was like, OK, with music, like I'm like the thing that's motivating me the most right now is like my goal is to get him out of his job because uh, by get making sure that our income starts to come in for music. And at this at the time when in early 2017, like we hadn't seen a dollar yet right. for music, like it was multiple years. Right. And uh, uh, while in and stuff like that starts coming out um, like late 2017 kind of thing and uh starts and once while it starts to pick up we released millions in january 2018 and then it was like that point where we started to see income coming in because it was like you know there's the two-month delay with with distributors right. in the way that they account and way the way spotify accounts and all the platforms account um so within you know two months start, we start to see like you know stuff start coming in we started to see statements and it's like oh this is cool like and you know millions especially out, out the gate was 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 crushing it so we were starting to see it like start to compound and we we're like oh we need to keep releasing more music And, uh, by like, I think it was March or April of 2018, he was like, okay, I'm ready to leave my job. Let's do this. And then, so, and before that it was like, he would work until like, you know, 6 PM or something like that. He would, and, and then he would get home and be like, okay, now I can record and like, but he would be like tired and stuff. And so it was just like kind of exhausting because he'd be working so much. Right. right? And, uh, but then he would come home and then start writing it, but you only get a couple hours. Right. Cause you gotta also like live your life as well. Like you gotta cook dinner and stuff like that. Right. And then, so once Once he, so he left his job and then that was like a huge moment. We started seeing his income coming in and stuff like that. So we had to make things work. And then we, and there's a lot of expenses as well, right? Like you start to get into expenses later where it's like, you know, cover, it's expensive. Um, Music videos are expensive mm-hmm. while a music video is expensive, you know, and so it's stuff like that and coming up with an album is expensive. So there's just a lot of costs and stuff. So we were kind of like, as we were like getting money, then we're also trying to balance like, okay, like having enough money for ourselves, but then also having it, you know, we got to commit stuff for marketing and commit stuff for cover art. And when I say marketing, it's not like, you know, it's more like covered expenses or graphics, you know, photo like so shoots, it's not really like, like not like massive PR yeah, campaigns, like marketing, not, not like no there's no and we we actually did get talked into doing a one p i think it was one pr campaign and but the thing i quickly realized about pr campaigns is like by the time it was like 28 mid 2018 i found like i was like i i was never personally super into pr because i and i would i would say this for all artists right now that um i think pr just doesn't work anymore like it just doesn't, not in the way that it used to. Like I think there was an era where it really did. And I'm talking about PR for like upcoming artists. PR for celebrities is one thing. Really
0: like not like multi-million yeah. dollar budgets where they're going on every morning talk show and on yeah, every Spotify playlist.
2: I would say like if five, seven thousand five thousand, five seven thousand or ten thousand is a lot to you and is a big part of you know if that actually would hurt you to spend in some way to put towards something like pr don't do it. Right. Like I would say th- th- I would say that's that's it put it into something else first cuz I would say that um pr for music for upcoming artists just it just stopped making sense I think probably in 2018. When
0: even all of the the Spotify playlists is just like pure chance if they put you on a lot of the independent playlists are not and like pay to play an, yeah. anymore you can just submit it yourself and then like you know you get a song blow up on social media that's like the biggest thing you could do it's like
2: Yeah and and so, with PR in music, the only thing that can come out of it is that you get um, you can get articles right. or you can get blog posts. That's it. And it uh, so it, it you know I, it's Spotify and shit like that is out completely out of the equation or anything. Like it's really just uh, all that's offered is um, is pitching you to to get articles or to maybe get an interview with something or whatever but it's like also completely up to chance. And like the thing that I realized quickly, cause it wasn't my idea at all to do uh, PR. That was more so coming from like industry is, it, it was kind of more of an industry standard was to, if you release an album at that time, you need to have a PR campaign. Right. And especially agencies really wanted artists to have that because agencies are pitching for shows there. And uh, in, in, at that time, and probably still people who book shows will look at, you know, they'll Google you and try to find articles or something, you know, that, that's, that was something. So the articles can matter to some degree to, or at least at that time it could, but it just like, there was such a high chance that also you just wouldn't get any articles, but you would still be paying, you know, seven, $10,000 or something like that, which sucks. Like it hurts. And so when you see that, Happen? And you put out an album, and there's, uh, you know, nothing comes out, or maybe one article that didn't really make any difference comes out, and you're 200 like, two hundred
0: people saw it and then didn't go listen.
2: <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, that that costs like seven or ten thousand dollars, <laughs> and uh, you're like, awesome, we could have split that as our total
0: dividend between the two of us for the month.
2: Yeah, exactly. So at that time, it was this like, uh, I think the. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of, I, I don't know if there's, if any of the industry is still pushing uh, music PR for upcoming artists right. anymore. Um, but at that time it was, and it was just like, that's something that looking back on it always like hurt me and Pat a lot to look at. Cause we were like, oh my God, that money really meant a lot to us at right. that time. And that like was it just hurt so much to see that, uh, you know, something that we didn't want to do in the first place, but it was like a rite of passage in the industry to do it, that uh, that we lost that money for pretty much no reason kind of thing. Um, and, you know, P- PR companies, I just think, depends who you work with, but some could be predatory with that kind of stuff, or they know that you might not get anything. So you have to be really careful, I think, in the PR industry for sure, or when you're, when you're fishing around for that stuff. But I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, so like maybe that's not right. relevant. Advice anymore, but if you ever are considering a PR campaign, that's expensive, and and you know you're upcoming and stuff like that, and you're like, okay, if I spend money on this PR campaign, I might blow up. Don't do it. It will not blow you up. If anything, it might just you might see some articles, but art people like articles just don't matter like that anymore. I think they did it one time in the blog era, but the blog era is super over in my opinion. It's
0: crazy how fast it changes. Like I would love to actually talk a little bit about how you know, I know y'all kind of got y'all start 2015, 2016, 2017. And I know like by the time y'all's album would come out in fall of 2018, right? Yeah. I'm sure that y'all had kind of developed your fan base then, but like if you were to start now, right? Like what if you were in school or you were a producer on like a Facebook group and you were looking to get a collaborator like Pat now put out a song, kind of do everything. Is there anything that you would do completely different from how you would have done it? Or since it was kind of just so natural and organic and kind of happened anyway, is it hard to even say how different your approach now would be?
2: I've been asked that a lot over the years where either from people have heard her, heard her story or, um, or people who are, who maybe I've personally known who like, um, are just starting out as well. And they're like, how did, you know, how did you begin this kind of thing? And I'm like the, you know, times change have changed so fast in a, over the last seven years since we first started that like you know every any advice i could have given you two years ago or four years ago all would have been so invalid now right you know because it's just like it's it's there's so many different ways now so when we were like starting it was like you didn't you didn't spend marketing money kind of thing you were just posting on soundcloud and it was all organic reach kind of thing and you post on youtube and then people but people like consumer behavior was so different in 2015 2016 or 2017 you know even up to 2018 i would say yeah. um that you know if people were willing to go and you know look at look up their favorite songs on YouTube and fully listen to it on YouTube and or go on SoundCloud and look for reposts and stuff like that and that stuff mattered at those times but nowadays it's like the with the consumer behavior is so different cuz it's all about fast convenience kind of thing right and it's about like having it in one place and so now like you know Spotify is really about like having it in one place and having your own like as a consumer you create your own albums of what you want to listen to because remember when we had like as kids we were like okay we have a cd And you just like you were stuck with the songs on the CD in the car, right? Otherwise, you had to switch the disc. Uh, And then at some point you'd start to like, you know, in that era of like ripping music and stuff, pirating music and shit. Make your own LimeWire mixtape. But then you're still with those 12 songs. Yeah, you're still with those songs. But now it's like, you know, just on Spotify, people just save stuff as they hear it. And they're like, oh, that's cool. They save it and it just automatically goes to a playlist and stuff, right? It goes to their own library. And I do that, too. Like, it's everybody does it. right? Right. And There's just like a very small amount of like sort of the narrow audience of music enthusiasts who are like still going to YouTube, still going to SoundCloud and stuff like that. But they're like such a narrow audience that like you can't fully focus on that. You should you should serve it. But like as like an upcoming artist, I think you got to like when you're really just trying to get stuff out the gate. Like you really got to play into like, what does the consumer want right now? Kind of thing and really put yourself in their shoes, in their head. Right. And, uh, and think about it. And even think about yourself as a consumer as well. Like when you're like finding music and really think about that, like of where, where are you finding it? What is, how are you saving it? Um, how are you keeping track of it? Kind of thing. How often are you going back to songs that you saved and really trying to reverse engineer that? And that's like always been the best approach that I think I've ever had was just like I'd always thought about at whatever stage it was that I was thinking about how does someone consume music? And that would even affect how I would mix stuff too because I would always, I was a huge fan of Apple earbuds. Like I was like always like, and I was like, if this doesn't slap on Apple earbuds, I've done something wrong. And so like it was always about that because I was like, like I think about our music in like 2017 or 2018, like all those times I was like, Try to imagine okay, so so someone like finds their song, they really like it what's uh the mood of this song, and how are they listening to it and I'm like okay it's 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 more like you know an intimate song, so it's like okay, they're gonna they're probably listening to it like at night or you know um in their bed or something, like listening to it in Apple earbuds or something right, right? and that was before AirPods. It sounds kind of old, right? But it's like it, was, it wasn't that long ago, but there was an AirPod. So it was like, it was earbuds, you know? And it was like, and I was like, hey, those are Apple earbuds. I'm like, hey, that's like, I need to make sure that everything is hitting the way I want it to in Apple earbuds. And I would right. literally like produce and mix stuff to a point to make sure that it was like absolutely earbuds. It needed to sound good on there. And if, it's, if it sounded great on everything else as well, that was a bonus. But it was like, but if it didn't sound good on Apple earbuds, I was like, this is completely wrong.
0: I feel like that's like the art of mixing, though, is like, yeah, if you're just trying to get something level and where it sounds okay, like that's cool. But I don't know for me, all of my favorite mixes are not perfect mixes. It's mixes that, like, when I throw them on in my yeah. car, it's just ridiculous. Or when they're in my headphones, they just feel like they're like right inside my ear. And like you said, like I feel like specifically always never has done such a good job of kind of having a whole kind of aesthetic with your sound, yep. that. I think it's easy for you to kind of anticipate where your audience is going to listen, what kind of mood they're going to listen when they're in it. And so, you know, a mix doesn't need to, like, I would be disappointed if I heard a mix from you guys that sounded like a Dua Lipa mix, just because it doesn't fit, right? Like, it's not going to give me the same emotive feeling. And so, like, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I feel like a lot of people just want their stuff to be, you know, quote unquote, radio ready. And it's like, are you even playing on the radio? Because if not, like it doesn't work in every case, wouldn't you rather just give somebody a good vibe? Like are people listening at a pool party in a nightclub? Like you hear electronic artists all the time. They're like, I won't mix my music for anything except for like a dance floor. And it sounds good on everything else. That's cool. And it's nice to hear that, you know, that kind of plays a part in you actively thinking about the consumer and kind of how your music is digested because that's why you do it. Right. You want people to enjoy it as much as possible. Exactly. And sometimes that means sacrificing quote unquote, the perfect decision or the right choice, you know?
2: Absolutely. And like, I, I always, I, I had to be real with myself too, along the way that I was like, this is not going to play on radio. When I, when I, like when I heard Weiland or I heard millions and stuff like that, I was like, this is too slow for the radio. It's not going to play on the radio. I know that I don't need to like have this be radio ready. It doesn't make right. sense. I'm like, I don't want to sacrifice the feeling. Uh, cause cause you, sometimes you do really, like if you get something radio ready, you could sacrifice certain emotions or certain like aesthetics to the mix right to make sure that it is radio ready but so for me I was like no we got like this is, this has got to be like this has got to be sound exactly like we intended it to be 100 essentially and and it, and it needs to be true to even the first demo that we had of it it needs to feel like the first time we heard it and it was like the we the specialness of the even the initial demo needs to be still exist in the final mix that was like, it was always about preserving like as much as we could to preserve the initial feeling that got us excited about the song had to be there. So like, yeah, to that, to that um, point though, with um, thinking about the consumer a lot, like that stuff plays a huge part, I think. And that's like, that's really like a a music hack in my opinion, when you're coming up, make sure you're thinking about your consumer. Who's your, who's your audience and like how, could you get into their head as much as you can to think about like, how do how are they going to consume this? How are they, what's going to catch them kind of thing and, and making sure I focus on those things as well. And then also the other thing I think is consistency with the music, because if your music just sounds like kind of all over the place, unless you want it to, like it, it's also like, there's no rules. Like if you want it to sound all over the place, you could totally could right. right. And that's, that's a creative freedom. But for us, I guess it was what, what made the most sense is like, I wanted it to sound like, not just from the vocals, but also the production. I wanted the production to sound like an always never thing. Right. And so I was very, I was, I was really on that from day one that I was like, I want a consistency. I want to make sure that, you know, it's not just like all over the place. And so in the first album I was intentionally doing that, that I was in the first album, I was like, I want to make sure that everything, so I'd play it back to back and we picked like the songs very carefully of like, which ones were coming, which one was coming next and stuff like that. Which one was the last song? I was very particular about making sure there was a consistency to it so that you would go to the album and it would be an era. Like it would, and you, if you listen to any one of the single songs and then you listen to one of the other single songs from it in any order, you'd be like, Oh, this is like from the same right. era kind of thing. Cause I wanted it to sound like that. And that was really important. So I think that that's also a thing too, is just like, um, I think for us it was consistency made a lot of sense. Um, and I wanted to make sure both aspects like were uh, vocals and production and even the way that it's mixed I wanted to make sure that that was cohesive and consistent so that people could really attach to not just one song but attach to the whole thing if they liked if they liked one song that they li- they'd like a good amount of the songs or all of them or something like that and right. that was
0: there's no guesswork yeah especially when you're investing in doing an entire album there's no guesswork of like yeah. well do people listen to three and then they're kind of disappointed by 11 yeah. you know like I think that that's so important. I'm a big fan of like artists early in their journey, just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks, genre-wise, sound-wise, like what do they like best, what translates the best. But then I think that there's a huge period where you kind of have to really perfect that sound. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you need to change that up. But again, that comes years later when you've already developed that loyal audience.
2: that's
0: kind of just going to fuck with you no matter what. You know, it's like you've spent all of that time developing always, never. And so if somebody knows... Honestly, it Pat doesn't even have to come in. Like all it takes is some of those big like respaces yeah. and some like really atmospheric pads, and you're like, oh, this will always never stop.
2: Yeah. And I was even like And it's cool. <laughs> re-spaces too is, like, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Like it's like I, I always have been. And that was like um <laughs> it's funny because that that is like a huge part of my productions. Is like the bases were always so important to me. Right. Um, and and also atmospheres, like cause uh for me when I was creating every song, it was always like my My favorite thing to do is to create, if I can create a really dope atmosphere that I really like, that makes me feel something, then I build around that kind of thing. So that would always, that typically tends to, like not in every case, but like at least in the first album, I definitely was like that where I wanted to, if I could create a dope atmosphere first that I was like really excited about, then I could uh, move on to the next pieces of just like molding it into a full picture kind of thing. And then, right. and then the drums would give it the tempo and stuff like that. But it was always initially start with the atmosphere. Um, and so I always had like, I just developed different techniques of creating like different types of strange atmospheres and stuff. Right, And I was always really into um, when I was in production school, um, there was this uh, course that was kind of like um, cinematics in, um, it was called audio for pictures. I think it was called. And it was a lot of it was about like um, TV show atmospheres and stuff like that. And that part really stuck with me.
0: Right. Like atonal like stingers and just like yeah. weird, you know, bows. Yeah. And, and then stuff also like that. just
2: like um, adding in ambiences. So like, uh, like rain and stuff like that and just finding like thunderstorms. And so I, like, I, even though I didn't like, uh, I never wanted to really get into scoring TV or anything right. like that. I really uh, like what I took away from that, that I got so into was like, Um, adding like rain and like, or like finding like rain and thunders, thunder tracks and stuff that I really liked. Just tons of ambiences, like sirens and things like that. So I started collecting like tons of different pieces of stuff like that over time. And then when we started making what ended up being the first album, especially like I was so into that. So like you hear in a lot of the album is I, I'm always like creating or like trying to put in all these things like rain and things like that. And that was also what kept a consistency through the songs as well. That um, I wanted to make sure that I was adding in that extra like, like I wanted to imagine myself in a place where I'm hearing a song, how it makes me feel and what part of the world I wanted to be in and what part of and, and what's the weather like and stuff like that. And I added that into right. the song. Um, and then when we do music videos too like like at Weiland, actually, the whole um, outro of it is actually there's actually no it was a blank slate of no audio for the whole outro which is like this outro where like um for anybody that hasn't seen it it's like um at the end of the the music video and after the song finishes there's this whole outro where um pat's like slowly walking up to this like car and it's like in sort of like this really atmospheric place kind of thing and then he like gets into the car and he's all in slow motion and then he like rips out in the car and drives away and uh the director hit me up and he was like do you want to like come up with something for this like he's like there's just it's just a blank slate and he's like here's the video or kind of thing for this part and then so he sent me that and then so from scratch I was like okay so I I start like imagining the atmosphere so then I get like a bunch of atmospheres and I get like I get like individual step samples of um stepping on dirt (laughs) and stuff like that and like so and then door slams and and doors creaking and 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 uh impacts on car seats and stuff like that and uh and then revving car engines and i would try to find like the original like car model kind of thing and then like emulate it Mm -hmm. so then i would just like go into this massive detail um and just automating everything to try to make it like as realistic as possible so when someone watched that that they'd be like oh that's cool that they caught all this right (laughs) yeah the world of like like,
0: foley and movies and tv shows is fucking insane like yeah i didn't realize until that was the first time i'd ever done several years ago that like tv shows and movies aren't really filmed with any sound like half that dialogue is recorded in adr after and then pretty much any kind of atmosphere is recorded from a foley house and i don't know it's cool that you say that i'm also a huge fan of using like foley and found sound and all of our stuff like i just bought one of those zoom recorders and i just go around and record shit all the time we've turned them into multiple sample packs on our website and even if like i'm a big fan of using them raw and like using a car revving engine but then i'm also a huge fan of turning something really organic into something super non-organic and like i don't know it just adds such a cool spice and you know i've always kind of heard that with your production style i'm sure we have a a pretty similar kind of approach and like it's it's cool to see how how big like all of that foley and found sound and atmosphere has also impacted your journey as a producer because like melody is cool but everybody can play a c g d scale but not everybody can figure out how to fill that into where it feels really important you know
2: exactly and was, so I I think that the um like the atmospheres and music is like I know a lot of people do it now so it's like it's it's not like it's pretty common now but at that time when I started doing it though I I wasn't really like I hadn't really heard other like a lot of other tracks doing that right. kind of thing so it was like for me when because I was creating a lot of these songs in like 2016 kind of thing right like millions for example it was like so I'm, I'm a guitar player so it was like I was millions was all um just a lot of me playing guitar but then i was like putting all these rain tracks and stuff like that because i wanted to make it feel like it was like a wet song like like a you know, and that, it was, so stuff like that. And same with Wyland too, it was like also that, that initial intro, that like big atmosphere intro kind of thing. A lot of it is, is the atmospheres and stuff like that, or Canadian Dubai and stuff like that. So yeah, atmospheres has always been like a massive thing for me. Like just, if you can get the right, like for me, if I could get the right atmosphere, it would get me excited. And that was the first step. Like when I open Ableton I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to play, I'm going to play something. I'm going to play it on guitar. I'm going to, um play something in midi and then I'm going to just turn it into like a really cool atmosphere. I'm going to start throwing in rain and wind and shit like that and sirens and stuff. And so I, and I still do that to this day. Like, um, like even just this one we just made called, uh, that was a Rosalind cover. It was, uh, the same thing where it, like, it kind of dives like near the end, it kind of dives down into like this new, like, filtering out all the acoustic guitars, filtering out everything. And then there's just like, I brought in these Toronto siren like sirens from right. the city kind of thing. And then like having those kind of coming in with like rain and shit and like, and then building it back up and then having like a reverse, like big siren, like becoming like the, um, the li- lifting into the final chorus yeah. kind of thing. It's like stuff like that. I just, I love stuff like that. So in your <laughs> process,
0: do you find that like, what is, what is it like to, put together a song like are you coming in with kind of an initial idea is pat coming in with kind of an initial melody or do you kind of construct an instrumental and then how far within that do you kind of figure out the aesthetic of that song or is it kind of all at the start like do you go in and start with chord progression and then does that chord progression evoke an emotion that would evoke an atmosphere or vice versa
2: can vary like usually um i can either start with guitar like guitar has always been like a huge instrument for me because it was like i feel like everyone's like main instrument as a kid is like if you had one yeah. is like <laughs> it, when you're a producer later you tend to go to that one first kind of thing. So if you're a piano player which i'm always jealous of people that started on piano as a kid that uh if you're a piano player you're like okay i'm, I'm like very keys oriented which it's kind of unfair because also you, with midi it's like you if you're like a classical pianist and stuff and you have all that knowledge you suddenly have a billion sounds you can make kind of thing but if you're a guitar player it's like you're kind of like a little bit limited and stuff Um, but I still like, you know, I'll throw on tons of effects and stuff. Sometimes I'm creating an atmosphere with a guitar. Um, sometimes I'm more just like playing guitar progressions, but it's, it's really gotta be something that I feel for sure, like off the bat. Um, and then after that, then I take it to Pat and then Pat has to feel the same way kind of thing or feel something similar. And then, so our process is usually like, I'll, I'll come up with something that that's working and sometimes it can end up being the full instrumental or it could just be part of what ends up being the final and uh and then pat takes it and then into his room and then he'll like do his own thing with it he will come back with it later and if it worked then he'll be like okay here's what i have and then we kind of like work with it from there right um that's usually been our back and forth process usually
0: and what's kind of the ratio of you know how many ideas you started even how many like by the time pat's throwing vocals on it is it pretty common that that's getting cut into like a full song or is it more like you cut a couple of things, you pick your favorites to release or it's pretty much everything you start going to get finished out in some way or another. What's that kind of ratio like for you guys?
2: Um, I think I would say most of the stuff that we've made, even over all the years has come out. Most, most of it. Like uh, there's definitely like quite a few that we would kind of shelve, but we would kind of know, like kind of right away. Like if it was, we would kind of like finish something where it would be like mostly finished. We'd be like, you know, I, I don't know about this one. Like it's like kind of, like we would we would both probably feel similar i we usually are on the same page musically like with with um um any song that we might be sitting on and stuff and then we're like okay maybe maybe not this one but most of the time especially through uh the first album especially it was like like every song we were making like we were on fire though at one point where it was just like almost everything we were making we we're like okay this is like this is really good and then like we, were, we would be really happy with it just locked um, in Yeah. So it was, we were getting lucky with a lot of stuff, but usually it's like, we'll never, we won't, we'll usually stop the process of a certain song. Right. If we know it's not really working, like we'll usually stop it before, which might not be the best thing to do. Like that's not for everybody. Some people I know that will just make a ton of songs and then they'll kind of just pick through them later. And that's like a totally other approach that's, that's, um, That's probably more common, but for us, it was never really about making like a ton of songs and then coming back later and being like, okay, maybe this one's cool and maybe we should finish that one. It'd usually be like, we like dive into one at a time kind of thing. And if it's really working, then we make sure it finishes as it comes out. If it is like sort of along the way, we're like not really feeling it. We just stop it before it's even at that final process which it's not like everybody right
0: i'm kind of on the same page with you like i know that there's a lot of people that will make 20 songs turn an album out of 10 and then maybe release some later but from yeah for me personally it's like i know pretty much within the first day of working on it if it's gonna be it or not and so like it's it is hard for me to come back like typically when i start working on an idea whether that's for me or for a client or whoever is like if i can't get it up through the end of the first course the first day where I feel good about it and then want to come back within a, one or two work days and finish it up, I'm like, all right, it's just, it's not going to happen. Like, it's going to sit on my hard drive forever because I yeah. don't know, like, I feel like if it's good, I'm excited about it and if I'm excited about it, I finish it and then I'm not a huge personal fan of like really like making a bunch of stuff and then not releasing it and i mean granted I do a lot of that for like the youtube channel, but somebody hears it in some way like it's getting used, you know Not every
2: yeah, I'm not gonna make
0: a song like the weekend and then go and immediately release it because it uh You know, it's just I made it to sound like an artist But with that said like i'm also almost never just making things and it sits on my hard drive like I get Dms every couple weeks. It's like hey, can you send me like a, a pack of stuff that you have sitting and I was like I don't have stuff sitting like I make stuff for yeah, artists or I make exactly. stuff for myself and then it gets used. And like, I don't yeah. want to spend a bunch of time on doing something and then just put it on a hard drive. So it's cool to see that somebody else exactly. is like that. Cause I know a lot of people, like you said, are, are kind of opposites are like, fuck it. I'll make a hundred tracks, maybe release 10 of them, maybe sell 10 of them. And then yeah. the other 80 can fuck off, you know?
2: <laughs> exactly. That's, that's how I feel too. It's the like same way as like, um, um, something I will do sometimes is like, if I, uh, so I'll go back and listen to old ideas from years ago right. and then see, and then I'll sample, like my own idea yeah. in and take it from like, like something from 2016 with a 22, 2022 mindset. And that's, always, that's been cool sometimes too. Like there was, um, we had a release like that last year actually, where there was like an idea we were working on in like 2016, I think. And I went back and like sampled it in a sense where I took parts of it and I just like put it into committed audio and I was like, okay, I'm gonna work with this as if it's a sample and then um and limit myself on purpose. So I bring it into like a new Ableton session last year. And then literally it came out I can't remember <laughs> I don't know I can't remember what the song's called. Um, uh, but it was a song that came out in January of last year. And um so we've had some like moments like that. Even that song Know This that actually was um that Kodashian paid played. That was a song that I repurposed from 2015 and did it with a 2018 mindset. Right. <laughs> and then I and I just like did it as a sample. And I was like, oh, this is so cool because it's like I'm sampling something that I thought of in 2015 that had something to it, but I just wasn't at the right place to finish it in the correct way. Right. And so I like take that. It comes a t- brand new idea. Pat goes on it. He's like, Oh, this is great. We get it to the end thing comes out in the album where we love it. And then the Chloric and things happens. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Cause it's like, <laughs> sometimes it works it's out wild. right. You, you grab like, um, cause sometimes there's, there's something special in those like really early days before, you know, as much as you do now. And if it's kind like,
0: about, does this chord progression yeah. work? Is, is this bass way too loud? It's just like, I go back and I listen all the time and I was like, holy shit, what was I thinking? But like yeah. you said, sometimes you get those There's weird like, special
2: in it sometimes. Like at that right. time too, I was just like, cause I, I wasn't thinking of anything. I was kind of just like throwing stuff around, but then there'd be like certain stuff that I would never think of today that like back then I was just because my mind was in a different place where like it was like I'm almost like, too
0: meticulous now where like yeah, I don't allow myself to much. do dumb shit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> So it was like back when I like didn't know what like I was doing at all and or like that like I kind of knew what I was doing a little bit but like but I was playing around with different synths that I never use today kind of thing or like different right. like vocal chops that like it sound outdated today but except if you if I would bring them back that would I'd be like oh this sounds cool now because I haven't heard this in it forever um, So I, I'm a big fan of that. I would definitely push people to do that if they ever get stuck on something and just go back and find like an old project and that you think is like mostly whack, but there's something in there that like is cool and just pop it out as a sample essentially and then treat it as a sample and just like come with a brand new idea just with that as part of it.
0: It, it really is like a whole different side of the brain working yeah. with something that it's like, I have to figure out how to make this work. You know, it's like, yeah. whether it's a drum loop or a synth loop or a vocal melody or whatever, you know, that's a big reason yeah. that like, hip-hop producers are able to make out of 100 records a month is because they're just like, this idea is committed. All I need to do is figure out what drums, what bass line, and how to warp this audio. And so, like, it's totally different than sitting down with a completely blank slate. Do I go to d- guitar? Do I go piano? Do I go synth? What chords exactly. am I playing? Am I in major or minus? Like, fuck that. Just throw something in. doesn't make you feel something and then build that out. Yeah. And so that's cool. Yeah, I've, I just started doing that probably within the past year. And so now I'm just a huge fan of, like, How different can I make my recording process every couple of weeks just to keep it interesting? So, yeah, it's cool hearing that you kind of do something similar. And, like, I know that, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about always never having like a certain genre and certain sound, but I know that you started playing guitar. If you weren't doing music with Pat and with always never, and you were still doing production or still working in another band or duo, like, what kind of genre do you think you'd kind of just naturally fall into?
2: I think, um, even with Always Never 2, actually, I would say, like, um, probably, like, more in the indie lane, which is more like, um, like, I don't know if you know these guys, but, like, um, like, Rye X, do you know who Rye X is? Yeah, yeah. Um, or, like, um, also, uh, Novo Amore. Okay. Um, so, like, or, like, or even uh, Jeremy Zucker, actually. Like, those kind of guys. Like, it's just, I, I, I've i always, like, really, like, even, um, <laughs> this is going to sound kind of crazy, but there's, like this really early Macklemore song that like, I always think back to from 2011. Um, and I know Macklemore has changed a ton, like over the years and stuff like that. But in 2011, he had this song that was, uh, called other side and it was, um, and it was this other side remix and it was like this, like dark, like indie type of thing. And it was like, and it had this like crazy video with it kind of thing. Have you heard it before?
0: It sounds so familiar.
2: Yeah, it's from 2011 and it's nothing like the rest of his music like today, like you'd never think, but it's like and it uh and it was so like it was this really dark indie song and I, it was like one of my biggest like I still go back to it today and like I get chills like listening to it cuz it's just crazy. The really like sad Dark indie stuff is like I have such a soft spot for that. There's also this band called City and Color. Uh, Well, it's actually oh I love City
0: and Color, Dallas. That's awesome that you
2: know who he is. Yeah, it's because he's Canadian, right? So right. And there was actually a big moment for us in the second album. So when during the pandemic, one thing I thought of was I was like, I love I love City and Color so much, and uh, I was like, how can I possibly bring City and Color into our music somehow? kind of thing. Like how could I possibly get Dallas green somehow involved in her music? I don't know. And so I just, had thought of that. And so I start going through like, um, so my favorite album from him is called bringing me your love, which is from, I started listening to that, I think in like 2005 or something like that. I might be wrong. And I, and I saw him in 2005 or 2006, I think when he was on the tour for it. And, uh, and so I was like, I was a huge fan. I would play all of his songs, the acoustic guitar and stuff like that. and, and i was like 14 or 15 and or something like that i think i can't remember i don't know it was something it was like a long time ago and then um anyways so i i was thinking about like how can i get dallas green like someone who's like a hero to me like um in music somehow involves then i i go back to the album and then i'm like oh this song um as much as i ever could i was like okay i could i could sample this actually and then so i just like take it i turn it into an idea um three four time and i was like hey, this is gonna sound dope and then so I sent it to Pat, and then uh, he hadn't he hadn't heard the original song before at all. So he was like completely not influenced by like he was just hearing this for the first time essentially. Right, it wasn't, it wasn't nostalgia
0: induced for him. Yeah,
2: it wasn't familiar right. to him. So which was great. It was perfect. And then he was like, "Don't send me the original song because I don't want to I don't want to be influenced by it at all." So then he like takes it and then uh, it comes with Ghost in the Night, and uh, which ended up becoming like one of our favorite songs that we'd made in a while. And even though it's like it didn't. Um, go too crazy on Spotify. we released really said an album song. And I think that was probably why, but it was uh, we released it as a free YouTube thing. It was another, you know, another one of those examples where we wanted to release free YouTube stuff for people. Right. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you make a dollar out of it. Right. Like, so we were like okay, free YouTube stuff. So then we do that one and we did it with a lyric video on it. I think it was almost a million views on YouTube. And, uh, but it was so, spe- it was such like a special one. So anyway, so what we ended up doing is we put on free on YouTube and, um, we get in contact with Dallas Green's team and then Dallas Green and his team hear a song and then they, they're they like, yeah, we'll prove this for sure. Let's let's prove it as a sample. Took a little while to get like all the stuff rolling for it. Right. Um, but then we cleared it and then we put it up, we were able to put it on Spotify kind of thing. And he was, and then he, they wanted his credit on it and stuff like that. And I was like, that's amazing. Like he's now <laughs> in something, you know, in some capacity, he didn't sing on it obviously, but it was like, it was a sample. Right. But it was like, just to have like some kind of link to that was was really cool to have like um like his approval and his signature on this song kind of thing you know what I mean so right because he could have easily that, just said no like <laughs> exactly yeah and like the, and I don't think you know, like I don't people I don't think people sample him I don't think that's like a thing it's just that uh and I had it I hadn't heard anybody ever sample him before All I right. don't know if anybody ever has but so that was like a first thing for me but I was also like a huge fan since I was a kid so like it was like very particular to me. And I'd never heard someone sample. So I was like, I got to do this. Like, I got to make this work somehow. So I'm like warping the shit out of like his stuff to try to like get it in like a timing that works. And I'm like, okay, let's three, four time, let's do this. And then like, it was, it just ended up being so organically perfect. Like when we, when Pat sent it back, it was like, oh, this is, this is great. Like, I love this song. So right. that was kind of a full circle moment for me. Like, uh, and I'm glad that you, you know, Dallas Green, because I know in, in America, like, because he's Canadian, right? So sometimes mm-hmm. in, in America, it's like there's Canadian artists that like people generally might not know kind of thing, you know?
0: I grew up listening to rock. So like I knew him when he was a rock yeah. vocalist. And then when City and Color came oh, out, Lex that Sound was Fire. like, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah. so like, I think probably from that first album, and I know he had like a couple really big songs when I was like in like early high school. Like I remember Coming Home was huge.
2: Yeah. There was another one. Of my, yes. And that uh, song. Yes. Save Your Scissors.
0: Yeah, and it was just yeah. like from the first time, his his guitar riffs are just like hooks off the bat. Yeah. And then the dude has an insane voice, and he's just oh, a great so songwriter. Crazy. And like, it's funny though, because I do feel like that kind of like, that almost like acoustic indie, it almost like feels like, like it feels like the pictures of the lot that you've sent me for the yeah. the place that you're building. And, yeah. uh, you know, I would know that y'all just did like that Bon Rosalind cover, and I, I think yeah. that style fits you sick, so... I I do love the song. So y'all have kind of incorporated that kind of folky indie acoustic guitar into, I feel like it's always a really, really nice thing.
2: I think we're going to do more of that too. Like we, we want to do like, we love the R and B stuff. Like that's like the core, but I think we've always also had like, like we love like indie stuff as well. Like I, I I like, I hate to throw around genres because genres are so hard to like, you know, it's so hard to group stuff together, but um, but in the best way it can be described, I guess, is like the dark indie stuff. Cause it's still atmospheric and
0: there's like a melancholy to it. I think it yeah. shows
2: another side of us as well, but it's also like not weird as well. Like, it's like, it's not weird for us to like do something like Rosalind kind of thing, you know? And like, but we love that cause it's, it just feels like a natural transition right. to have like both sides of that kind of thing. So I think for us, it's like the, the indie stuff for sure. And I've been into that for a long time. So, and so is Pat. So it's like. So I guess to answer the original question is like the dark indie stuff and atmospheric and I love the really sad stuff. I listen to sad music all the time, kind of thing, even in the car. <laughs> yeah, in the car and stuff. And everyone like it's so natural to me because like I just like and but people who are in the car with me are like, is this all you listen to? Like you know, it's like, do you never do you ever listen to something like upbeat and happy? And like I'll listen to like you know uh, you know rap and stuff. Like I'll listen to Drake. I'll listen to Kanye. So I do have like the mixture, but it's like a lot of the time I'm like playing a lot of sad music. So, um, <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, but pe- so people get kind of annoyed, I think, or start to feel like shitty all like, the time. You fuck, are you okay? Around like, me listening to all this music. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's 3 PM on a Saturday. Why are you listening to this?
2: Yeah. That's just me every day, pretty much. Like, but yeah. I love that stuff. I love, um, I've been into that. Like just anything that feels sad or dark is like, like since I was like a little kid, I was always into that stuff since the right. very beginning. Yeah. Or anything that makes you feel angry sometimes too. I like that.
0: Anything that evokes like societally negative
2: emotion. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But even though I'm like, I'm generally a very happy person actually, but that's
1: what I was going to say. You're really happy for someone who listens to sad music all the time. (laughs) That's the
2: thing. I just like artistically, I love sad music so much, but it also like is I guess it's for the times that I am in dark places in the past. Like, it's like, that's the music that really sticks with me the most. And like, that's the stuff that hits me the hardest. And I remember the most. And that's also what I want for other people too, that I can provide. Like, that's something that drives me. In music is to be able to provide that specific emotion for other people when they go through those times too. And that's right. also for Pat as well. It's the relatability. It's like the, um, the, I would rather like have, someone get themselves through a difficult time than have someone go have fun at a pre-drink kind of right. thing. That's mm-hmm. like, that's the type of music we make kind of thing. And that's the stuff that drives us the most. And, and we would see that at when we did shows, uh, we would always do meet and greets after kind of thing. And like the people that we would, that would talk to us, like we've had people cry, like talking to us kind of thing, telling us about their story. And it was like amazing to see that in person that how much it's impacted people. Cause that was what we always wanted. But When you see it in person like the physical evidence that this is working like this is doing what it's supposed to do kind of thing people tell you in person very emotionally and tell you about like the first time they heard wyland or the first time they heard like um like feel it or something like that like these various songs we have that are for those difficult places, right? Right. You know, people describing like how those songs made them feel and at what times and, you know, seeing people get tattoos of lyrics and tattoos of different song titles and stuff like that or getting the logo tattooed on them because of how much we've impacted them that they want, they will commit something permanent to themselves because they're so attached to that. Like, I think if we made pre-drink songs, I don't think people are necessarily getting <laughs> tattoos <laughs> unless they're really drunk or something and getting right, on them yeah. or something and regretting it later or something. But I think it's, you know, people making, like
0: you said, it's knowing your audience, yeah. you know?
2: And, uh, and it's really genuine for us too. Cause it's like, it's not like we just make this music cause we know it works. It's like, we make mm-hmm. this music because we know we love making this kind of music. And like, we put out stuff that we believe in and, and it's, uh, and it, at the same time it was like, okay, people found us because they love, type of stuff that we also love so now we have that bond together so it's natural that we're making this music that you love but we also love this music so we've come together because you love the same music as us and i think that's the kind of way we see it so it's like uh because some people ask me like do you just just keep making this because it works and i'm like no that's not that's not what it is it's not like oh this let's make this same sort of song because like we know it works that that's just not how we do it.
0: right at this point you'll have a big enough fan base you could easily transition to upbeat indie pop and you know, go on a TikTok reel and be good to go. Yeah. But I think that, like, you know, you've been able to have a, a genuine connection with your fans because they relate to your music in the same way that you relate to your music. And yeah. I don't know. For me, I, I'm not great at writing like super upbeat music. Like all of mine tends to lean sad, so sad, and, um, and not
1: most of it not true. Yeah, I'm like, like, being cheated exactly. <laughs> on. All the stuff. I'm like, we've been together for like then, yeah, half when our We were lives. 14. Yeah,
2: I've never. Yeah. Oh my god, that's. Not- <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Dude, honestly, you have given so much great insight. It's been really cool to hear about your story as a producer, your story with Always Never, kind of how y'all have worked out going through management, being independent, how you've kind of made the, the modern system work for you. And I really enjoyed getting to hear about all of your kind of production techniques and stuff like that. I know you're producing everything for you and Pat and Always Never, but do you ever think about going and like producing for other artists or doing other projects or like kind of living that dual life of a producer and and songwriter and somebody who's in like an artist duo? Or Or do you just want to stick with always never?
2: I would say so. It's like um it always never is always it is always my top priority when it comes to music is like that first and foremost, like it's just like the my best ideas right of our stuff. Like of our like I mean there's there's a particular feeling to our kind of music. So like if I ever make something that doesn't make sense with our like music, sometimes I will, you know, might just make something that, you know, just for fun, that makes no sense with our kind of music. And I know it's mm-hmm. not intended. Um, that stuff is like, you know, completely separate kind of thing, but, but it definitely, you know, always, ever is always a top priority to me, but, but also, yeah, it's like, a, I'm always like open to that stuff. Um, it's really just like, you know, what's the vibe kind of thing. And like, um. And like who I'm working with kind of thing, because it's like um, I like to have a connection with personal connection with people that I work with as well. I actually have uh, I produced a a song for my buddy 12 a.m. I
0: love 12 a.m.
2: Yeah. So that was a a couple of years ago and it was uh, it was called Can't Love. That was that was cool because it was like he was like my friend and it was like we were in his basement and then I just like start playing uh, playing. like We were just kind of like rinsing through beats and stuff like that or whatever. And then he did like that that song in almost one take. And we were like, this is actually really sick. And, uh, and then so he ended up holding it and then he put it out, like I think it was about a year later. And I think I almost got a couple million plays on it or something on Spotify. But, um, so it's like, you know, stuff like that. Like there is the one off times as well that that have happened. So but yeah, I would say that uh, that I'm definitely like open to other stuff too, but it's like, uh, but always never is, is definitely my top priority. So it's like, right. that's like my, my main thing. That's like my identity, essentially.
0: Open to collaborating, but not trying to have a, another career as a producer doing all this like freelance exactly. work or kind of whoever.
2: Exactly. It's, it's also going to be like a passion thing on the side as well. So it's like, you know, whoever I'm working with, I gotta be, be like excited about it and like stuff like that. Right.
0: Right. You don't need to just go out producing for whoever you've, you've got a full thing that's taking up all your time and energy if need be.
2: Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And there's, there's a lot of stuff out cause uh, with the, um, the artist side of this stuff is like, it's very time consuming with, um, there's so much more to think about. Right. Um, where there's like, uh, we're thinking about like merch and like, branding and um and politics and like there's there's so much stuff to this these this to you know beyond the production right the production is like one part of the role um so there's like all these other pieces or it's like our accounting or like you know there's so many pieces to it right like our business like so it's kind of like it i guess that's where it like it gets a little tough to spend that extra time on like other people's stuff as well so it's like it just depends it's situational for sure cool i think that's that's probably Probably say with that.
0: Yeah, I was just curious cuz like I know you've got the production chops, but I was like I wonder if he just ever wants to like be a freelancing producer on the side just because he could and it's like extra income all the, all the time, but yeah, I mean like you said especially yeah. with y'all being so independently driven, I'm sure that the production's like the quickest part of the whole process for you guys at this point.
2: It can be. Yeah. It's like, um, I think, I think for me, it's like the production part is always so passion driven for me, especially cause it's emotion driven. right? So like if I'm, uh, <laughs> like typically when I start producing a, a song, like, or coming up with an idea, it's like, it's very, so emotionally driven that like, I just naturally want to pass it right off to, to Pat and he goes in on it and then like, it comes back and it's something that, you know, cause we're so invested in this, right? For but sure. it's like a lot of it just tends to be so emotionally driven. So it's hard to you know, like it's like, it's, it's hard for me to have sometimes to have, I like it, I always naturally go in that emotion direction. Right. So it's like hard for me to just to pass it off to someone who I might not know that well, or stuff like that, unless I'm just, it's someone I'm close with or something like that, then it's a little bit easier. Right. So it's, a, it's always a little bit complicated, but it's like, uh, it's definitely situational for sure.
0: We Well, I love it, man. I wanted to go over some lightning round stuff, so I might let Miranda
2: take this.
1: Okay. Lightning round question. Number one, what is your favorite song at the moment?
2: Um, at, this moment spiral by RYX.
1: oh i don't think i know that one okay uh your three desert island plugins this is Austin's favorite question
2: so i would say um guitar rig and then i would say decapitator (laughs) and i guess i have to include an instrument right because if i'm stuck without an instrument i guess i got nothing (laughs) um because then if i was a pe- to pick another effect i'd pick pro q3 for sure
0: all right that's gonna do
2: it then oh this is <laughs> so hard it's only three yeah it's so hard i guess yeah
1: <laughs> that's why he likes it you play <laughs> guitar, you <laughs> play guitar
0: you don't need you don't need omnisphere you play guitar you'll be fine
2: yeah it's true
1: okay what's harder to perfect a verse or a chord
2: i would say a verse actually i agree yeah everybody
0: thinks a chorus is so hard to write but like i'm going a chorus down and then it's, it's so hard to fit it around it
2: that's you know? for both me and Pat, actually, like from a writing side, from a production side, it's always creating the chorus is usually first. And then it's just like the verse is always the hardest because you can get stuck on the verses so easily.
0: Yeah, choruses are so macro. It's like it just needs to feel right. But with the verses, yeah. it's like how situational are we getting? Is yeah. there a story? How repetitive is this? All yeah. right. Thank God. Everybody always thinks like <laughs> writing a good course is so hard. I'm like writing a good course oh, it's is the hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I was like, fuck. If you can't write a good course, don't make the
2: song. You know, like. And I also find bridges can be really tricky. Sometimes it can be obvious, but bridges can be very tricky as well. If you try to throw in a bridge, sometimes.
0: That was why we didn't even include it. Almost yeah. everybody would be like, "A bridges are impossible." That's why songs now yeah. don't have them in every song, it's two minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay, a skill that you wish you had outside of music and like productions?
2: I would say video editing. Actually, I wish I was good at video editing. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty terrible at video editing, but Pat's really good and I've seen him do it and it's the stuff he does is really hard. I'm like, I tried to, I tried to download Premiere one time and I just got so mad. I deleted it within one day and I was like, I hate this program. This is horrible.
1: (laughs) I use Premiere every week and I want to delete it every time too. So yeah, I was (laughs) like,
2: I I was trying to line up audio and I was like, so I was, I was trying to like, and I was like, why is it this hard to line up audio with a video? Like, it's so difficult. I was like, it's because I'm used to Ableton being so easy. I deleted it within a day and I was like, I'm so bad at this.
1: <laughs> like, leave it to Pat, leave it to Pat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your favorite lunch spot in Toronto? Uh,
2: this place called Mildred's Temple makes amazing blueberry pancakes. Um, it's Ooh, like a very small spot them. in Liberty Village. I would recommend it to anybody if they get a chance to go.
1: Skiing or snowboarding? Or do you do neither of them?
2: I've done both. Skiing, if I was wanted to keep my safety intact. Um, snowboarding is definitely a lot more fun, but more dangerous to me because I'm not as good at snowboarding, but it's definitely a lot more fun. I would say skiing for my own safety because I can pizza down the <laughs> down the hill.
1: Okay, last one is your dream vacation spot.
2: I want to go to Italy, actually um but yeah. that's because i'm i'm a food fan so I, I like i love pasta and i love parmesan cheese <laughs> it sounds so basic but uh but i like really want to go to italy for the food yeah um also it's beautiful but i've I've never been to europe so i'd say italy for sure it's a
1: good
0: one all right well i think that does it that's all the lightning round questions but dude thank you so much for giving us two hours of your afternoon i appreciate appreciated Absolutely. your thank time you and me. getting to talk with you i know we chat all the time on the text but it's always yeah. nice to put a voice and a face to a to a friend so
2: yeah absolutely dude, is
0: there anything that you want to say before we we outro you where can people find more about you more about always never how can they support what should they go check out
2: i think it's just you know it's instagram spotify really like i think that's like the main two where we um yeah have stuff but yeah it's i would say just you know it's <laughs> play the spotify <laughs> or apple music whatever <laughs> you know what i mean everyone knows where everything is um yeah. we're not really on tiktok so Don't go to TikTok really, but, uh, so anywhere else. But also, uh, I would say like to anyone that's listening, like always feel free to like message us on Instagram. Like sometimes we don't, won't see stuff, but usually we try to like keep track of messages and we'll try to answer people and stuff like that. And if you ever have like, if anybody ever has production questions or questions about music industry and stuff like that, I always try to like explain as much as I can. If I, if I, uh, have a moment kind of thing. So I would say we're definitely like just anybody who's listening to be open to, if you have any questions, feel free to message us.
0: Love that. Well, thank you so much for all yeah. your insight. Thanks for all the willingness to help everybody. I know that there's going to be a lot of people that get really good tidbits out of this because probably most of our audience is independent artists trying to see how they can yeah. you know, quit their day job and and you know form some kind of musical project that they're passionate about, but they also have control over. So I know yeah. that this one's going to resonate with a lot of people. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast it's so early in its life. Uh, I've had a great time chatting with you, but... We're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. It's been so nice chatting with you, dude. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Much love, man.
2: Thank you, too. Thank you so much.
0: All right. If you're still here with us, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Dean from Always Never. We had a really, really good time filming this. Dean is one of the nicest guys I know. I talk to him literally all the time. We actually didn't talk about cats and houses that much in this podcast. (laughs) So you're welcome for that. I had a really, really good time with all this. Uh, I hope that you all got some some really good information from this episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, let us know by showing us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening to this, feel free to leave us a rating, show us some love. That helps us out a ton. Miranda, how can they support us if they want to show us some love uh, outside of the podcast?
1: You can go over to makepopmusic.com. We have a bunch of free and paid content over there. Thing from sample packs, midi packs. We have a bunch of free packs as well. We have a blog post. You can go to our YouTube channel.
0: Yeah, just basically uh, follow us on all of our socials. You'll see it all in the show description. You can also click that for Dean and Always Never's info as well.
1: Yeah, go follow them.
0: Yeah, definitely go show them some love. Follow us on Instagram. Join the Facebook group. Uh, head over to the website and check out the free and paid content over there. Check out the YouTube channel. But other than that, that's pretty much going to do it for this episode. We talked about so much. I'm going to let you guys go. We have more guests coming up really, really soon. So if you are liking this podcast, make sure you're subscribing or following. But other than that, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Once again, massive, massive, massive thanks to Dean for coming on. I really enjoyed this chat and I'm hoping you all did as well. Show him some love. Show always never some love. That's going to do it. We'll see you guys next time. Much Much love. love. Peace. (laughs) Peace. Bye.